0: Merry early Christmas guys we're really excited to um we're not excited I keep saying that we're excited we're not excited to, to um
1: you can say we're excited what are we excited about
0: we're excited about Christmas
1: we're excited our podcast is doing so well but we're gonna be taking a short break here during christmas to spend time with our family and friends and recuperate after the last semester that we've had
0: yeah because we just started this and we didn't realize how much work it's going to be and we also love christmas and so we want to spend it with our friends and families because we love them too so um expect us back in a couple of weeks and we'll be shoveling out just as much crap as we usually do uh so yeah merry christmas happy new year stay safe and now enjoy Media for the Intellectually Impoverished.
1: <clears throat> if they go to part two, I'm like another view from me, you <laughs> freaking wasting my time.
0: <laughs> I hate that. When it's like, it, the only reason you need a part two is if you take up the entire full If you minute.
1: literally can't tell your whole story in one part, then it's okay. Then I'll go find the other one. But if you're just lollygagging around, if you got like 30 seconds of just music, I'm not going to find your part two. Yeah, you
0: don't deserve my, you don't deserve a part two. That's what
1: you have to, no, especially today because that's what social media is. Like, it's just trying to get our attention. That's what, it, Any any website, any social media is advertisers are trying to get your attention. So you need to be so careful with who you give your attention to, because your attention is money.
0: That's true. I didn't think about it that way. Your attention is like literal money. Like if someone's advertising, somebody's getting paid
1: because you clicked on something because you watched something for 60 seconds. So you need to be adamant about what you're watching, (laughs) what you're giving your attention to, because you don't want to be giving people free money.
0: Like, I don't they don't need no money. We need money. We need money. Give us money. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, today's sponsor is mouse pads. There we go. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> we don't have one.
1: I got a mouse pad today. You got a
0: mouse pad today? And this you morning. Didn't, you didn't bring it in. I'm sorry. Wow, how dare you? That's and today's sponsor me. was mouse, mouse pads. pads. I know, I completely
1: slipped my mind. I know you sent the email out and I just like I'm sorry. I <laughs> Can forgot. you imagine
0: me sending you an actual email? Oh, that'd be so gross. It would be. If I sent you an email, like a formal email. Like, oh,
1: that would be really gross. Dear okay. Miranda.
0: Please. Stop
1: emailing my name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't you don't like your government name either?
1: It's my legal name. There's no such thing as a government name. I don't
0: know, man. It's what the government calls me.
1: Okay. No, I don't because it's now it's gone to the point where it's very specific. So like family members and teachers will call me Miranda. And all of my friends will call me Randy. And I've gotten used to that. So now, if one of my friends calls me Miranda, if one of my teachers calls me Randy, it's not. Nope, you're not in your zone. <laughs> Stick a, to your zone. Stay in your lane.
0: <laughs> that's a um, that's a cinema person thing you say, right? Stay in your lane, right? Isn't that a thing that like people say in the cinema industry? Maybe. Like stay in your lane means like if don't if you're the camera op, don't go mess with the lights and stuff.
1: Well, I feel like that's a given. Maybe not.
0: Well, probably not for some. I mean, you know, if you're a PA and you're wanting to like step up in the world and okay
1: but your job as a pa is to do everything (laughs) (laughs) you have to
0: but like you can't be like like oh pa is a personal assistant yeah not a personal
1: assistant it's a production assistant production
0: assistant i always thought it was personal assistant no oh
1: we learned about this in video production see
0: i didn't pay attention in that class nor any uh succeeding class no
1: it's production assistant because you're helping with the production of a
0: you're assisting with the production. Yeah,
1: you're assisting with the production of a film, and it's your job to literally do everything. Ugh. you're the bitch of the of the the crew. Like you're you do what everybody else doesn't want to do. You just
0: well, you know, you gotta start somewhere to do the things that no one wants to do until you can do the things that you do want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing to remember. I've always been told, like by my family, it's, it's like you have to have a job you hate before you can have a job you love, because otherwise, how are you gonna know if you love it? Was it, was that storyboard good? Did it the look starboard? good? Stooboad? Starboard? Stooboad? It, it was good. The Starburst?
1: It was, I can't believe how well you got inside of my head. Maybe I just wrote two meticulous notes, mm-hmm. but like what I, that was exactly what I saw in my head and it was, it was beautiful to see it actually drawn Yeah,
0: out. I mean, I took a couple different things that I thought would be interesting shots, mm-hmm. um, but we also just think alike when it comes to, That's and true. like the script wasn't super descriptive, and then you oh, i
1: felt it was overly descriptive really i felt mm-hmm. like
0: there wasn't enough in the script i really needed your um notes on the side to sort of pick out exactly what i wanted okay um but yeah no i mean it was really fun i love well, doing storyboards it's great
1: well that's i probably thought it was overly descriptive because i want to be the one
0: writing the script. writing
1: not writing the script but showing like because in the script it was saying like oh now you like I don't remember. It it said something about he picks up the frame and it's just mm-hmm. the frame or something. And I was like, well, that's for the director to decide what kind of shot to get. Like you can either show the entire scene of him picking up the frame or you can show just his hands and the frame being picked up. Yeah. But in the script, it was in a couple of parts. It was very specific about what it wanted you to see. And I was like, well, that's for me to decide and not you to tell me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in a lot of um sort of independent films, you know, the screenwriter is the director.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. So, yeah.
0: But you know, the higher up you go, the more often you'll see people kind of especially with, you know, blockbuster movies, people will outsource. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. There are a lot of uh blockbuster movies as well that the screenwriter is the director or at least has a hand in uh writing and directing.
1: My brain just turned off for a second and I forgot what we were doing. And so I was like, I'm just going to like do a weird dance move right now. And then you kept talking and I was like, oh, right. We're doing something right now. Yeah, it's
0: important. Uh, I, yeah. I have those every once in a while. Don't we'll, zone out. We'll, we'll be talking and then like it'll just go. pew, And then I'll, my brain will be like self-aware and I'll be like, I'm talking. To a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> what, what am I doing with my life?
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: But Yeah welcome to media for the intellectually impoverished i'm taylor i'm randy and uh this is the podcast to enrich your media ochre
1: lives (laughs) i love
0: getting it on the first try that's the best yeah um
1: i was gonna see if you were gonna do it this time because i've done it the past two times
0: yeah well you know i was just i was wondering when we were gonna do it and i looked at the time and i was like oh it's been like 12 minutes yeah should probably get to it
1: I guess yeah, well, we haven't talked all day, so I just kind of want to have like a conversation with you, yeah, <laughs> just about right? normal stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, but we can't. We can't. We we could.
1: Good. Good,
0: we, could, we could just throw the whole episode away and then just talk about stuff and then post that and see what people do. do.
1: I had a question this morning. No, I won't do it. <laughs> no, hit me. <laughs> no, so I was driving to school today, and for the, some, and my mind just goes off to weird places sometimes. And I was thinking, when do kids realize, like, when do they come up with the definition of a celebrity, like because nowadays because we know what a celebrity is and we we almost feel like these people are like they're so above us not above us but they're so like removed from the kind of life that we live and they make so much money and they live in these big houses and they do all of these like creative amazing things when do you realize that when do you realize oh there are some people that are like different than me that live a completely different life than me when do you realize that
0: When do you realize that? I don't know. When do you put that together? Because I feel
1: like as a kid, you see those people and you're like, oh, those are just humans like me. Like those are just, I can go talk to that person. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you get to a point where you're like, oh, that person's almost like untouchable. It's probably
0: like puberty when you start getting like crushes on actual people. Okay. And then crushes on celebrities when you're like, oh, this celebrity is nigh untouchable because he's beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. Or he's got so much money. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably around that time that you would, sort of associate with like this person lives a different life yeah because that's also the time when you sort of are realizing social cues and exactly stuff like that so
1: and then when is it when like if you grow up in that world like you know there are kid actors and actresses if you grow up in that world when do you realize that you are living this luxurious life while others are living I don't want to say above and below, but that's almost what it feels like. It almost feels like they're living above us and we're living below them.
0: And it's difficult to say that because not all not all celebrities live that crazy luxurious lifestyle, you know. It's true. Some some people live very modest or minimalist and uh, it it's it's difficult to say that like I wouldn't put them as as like above, they're just like they just live a different lifestyle mm-hmm. and because they have access to different things you know mm-hmm. uh, so it's ju- it's just like when you're a kid growing up in that like that's just your life and then you're probably surrounded by other kids living that same life
1: exactly so when do you realize I mean because one thing that I was thinking about was school like they don't do school like we do they don't go in a big classroom with a bunch of other kids and, and sit for eight hours a day and learn all these different it's subjects a terrible
0: education system by the way that's really a terrible, should,
1: education a terrible education. It's terrible.
0: It does not pander towards the student. Oh no! It doesn't. It it and it should. I feel like classrooms should be like, and people are going to be like, "Well, that's so stupid. How are we going to logistically do that?" I'm like, well, just pay your teachers more, yeah. um, and then pander towards individual students. If we paid teachers the salaries that we paid celebrities, we would have a lot smarter kids. Oh,
1: you know how smart we as a society would be.
0: Seriously. Yeah. Because. All these people that like want to go into the teaching and like education industries like you can't it's not it's not always a viable Option. lifestyle mm-hmm. um and it's sad that like we look down on some teachers well there are i mean well, I'll be honest, not it's all teachers are great teachers not all
1: teachers are great teachers, and I feel like some people are in it just to make money, it's not good money. I'm not saying at all that teachers get paid good money. A lot of them are underpaid. But I feel like some people, that's like their only option. They're like, I can't find work anywhere else. I'll go be a teacher.
0: Yeah, but there's a whole lot of certification that goes into that as well. So it's like, you know... I, mean, they, 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 they,
1: I don't want to call out my high school. I won't say what my high school was, but they did not do very much. My I mean, high school did, sucked. They did background. I mean, they did background checks and everything, but a lot of the teachers that I had were underqualified. Not saying that they weren't good. There was a lot of teachers who were underqualified, but were amazing teachers. But I'm just saying, then there were some teachers who were underqualified, and it showed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> It is what it is.
1: Well, I was just... I didn't mean to hit the desk. I was trying to get comfortable. Usually, I'm comfortable sitting cross-legged, but I just...
0: just today, you're just not.
1: Just not. Just my not. My back's hurting. I need to go get my Achilles heel um checked out. Is that still
0: bothering you? Yeah.
1: Do You see the big red Ooh. behind it? it? There's a tear. There has to be a tear in it.
0: Wow. That's painful. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: Um, It's from running. <laughs> like once so i told you that my boyfriend he made me run a a week ago or so and we didn't do any proper stretching beforehand we just went running and i was oh
0: you didn't do proper stretching before running for the first time in like six years
1: Years? yeah (laughs) and then the next day my achilles hurt and i was like oh it's nothing and then i walked on it and it got worse to one day i just couldn't walk it hurt way too much to put any pressure on it and I was looking up, and I was like, what is this? Achilles tendonitis, I think is what it's called. And what does it causes? Uh running without properly stretching first?
0: Well, if you learn nothing else from today's podcast, it is that you should properly stretch before you run.
1: Exactly. Please do. I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sucks. It sucks so bad.
1: I'm really surprised that you can still walk on it, though, because I thought that if you tore your Achilles tendon, like, that's it. You can't move your foot anymore.
0: I think tearing it a little bit, versus severing, severing it, it okay. is different If because if you sever your achilles that's it there's nothing to hold you your feet yeah, up. yeah
1: you can't walk like you can't there's no muscle to that's the muscle that contracts and well it's
0: not the muscle it's the ligament the ligament Sorry. That, that contracts the the heel up and down so mm-hmm. you can't i mean you could you just, you just have, have loosey, a loosey-goosey foot yeah you just have a floppy foot so <laughs> if you wanted to find a way to do that i mean you could but it'd be really difficult yeah, well today we're talking about character design and character development in movies and video games, finally after twenty minutes of just talking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about character design and development. Who started last week? Was that you?
1: I started I've started the past two times. Wow,
0: then I'll start. It's your turn. I'll go. I've got a whole lot prepared. Um, good I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, good. I've got nothing I've I didn't got want to
1: nothing. Well, you're talking, I'm gonna do a little bit of research. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like you're getting ready for the presentation, like while the person before you is up.
1: going, yep. <laughs>
0: I'll use their uh, slide template. <laughs> I'm excited about this because you know it's it's more art based for you know character design itself is art based and so I I love character design. There's there's a lot that goes into it, but I also love it when it's implemented correctly because uh, you can just have character design that's just like, ooh, it looks cool, but it doesn't fit, you know. But yeah, um, it's really it's really effective if it's implemented correctly. Uh, if it's just like like a cool design, just because it's a cool design, then it and it doesn't necessarily fit the story or fit the the themes of the world. It doesn't work, and it it it. While it may be a cool design, I don't feel like it's as impactful as the ones that do. So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the Last of Us one. I know I talked about the Last of Us two in our cinematography episode, but you
1: repeating uh, games over there.
0: I am. I've only played so many.
1: <laughs> only, I can only talk about so many. <laughs> yeah, only, I haven't played them all.
0: Um, uh, I haven't, you know. But this one, the reason I bring it up ag- again, I guess, is because you know it's won multiple Game of the Year awards. Like it's got a whole bunch of leaves to it. So uh, a leaf being an award, I don't know if that's common knowledge. So when you see a movie that's done the like an independent movie that's done the the rounds of film festivals right if you win an award you get what's called a leaf right and then it'll say uh like best editing goes to whatever from sundance 2020 uh and it'll say stuff like that around it inside the little leafy thing and so that just lets people know that hey this won an award and so uh the last of us has won I think three or four Game of the Year awards.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: it's one. That's impressive. It's really good. It's it's and it really deserves it. Um, it also won a whole bunch of like best cinematography, best um, character voice acting. Uh, Oh yeah, it's got it's great. It's great. Um, but the reason I want to talk about it is uh, design wise, I'll talk about design, character design, and some character development as well because it does have both, and it's. Does both really well, which is why it wins so many awards. Design-wise, I want to talk about the enemies, the main enemies of it. So let me give you a brief synopsis of the of the game itself. So, so twenty years after the outbreak of a fungus that turns humans into zombie-like creatures, um, a smuggler named Joel is given the job of getting a seemingly immune girl, a uh, girl that is seemingly immune from this fungal virus. To a group, uh, a group of people attempting to cure the fungal virus, but as things go awry, they are forced to travel across America together. Uh, along the way, they sort of meet—you know—what the pits of humanity can become in such a global pandemic.
1: Scary when we start talking about these kinds of topics in the world that we're living in today. Yeah,
0: you know, but uh, what what I think makes this th- this game and this world so believable um, is that. Uh, the the fungus that uh, that the game is sort of the the enemies are based around these monsters are based around uh, is a real life fungus yeah that exists mm-hmm. uh, and that it typically affects deers. it does right but it's, it's currently I've heard it's mutating and it's possible that it could affect humans
1: can't wait for that
0: yeah so once we get that one we'll finally have 2020 level 20 unlocked yep so but these enemies uh they're they're called the infected uh mm-hmm. in in the game they didn't want to be like zombies because they're not zombies which i think was a brilliant move to not call them zombies because zombies are so overplayed and they and, are and to giving them this design and giving them this name sort of takes it away so you're not you don't feel like you're playing a zombie game as much um but it doesn't
1: feel like a zombie game it compared doesn't. to other ones
0: yeah and that's and, but you know at its core it kind of is a zombie game because you're just kind of running around and scavenging for materials and shooting these infected people, these creatures.
1: But it's not so much focused on, at least, uh, maybe I can I'm just not recalling it. But it's not so much focused on, like, killing these, the infected, more than, like, scavenging. And maybe you can just sneak around them.
0: That's true. That's true. The game, it's possible to beat the game and sneak around most of the zombies. I won't say all of them. There are definitely segments in the game where you have, you to. have to fight yeah. the zombies and such but there is uh, there's a way to sneak around uh, a majority of the zombies in the game or the infected in the game if you want to. So the the main reason i bring up the the infected is uh because of like the detail that and thought they put into designing these creatures. So there's in the first game there's uh, three or four different kind of creatures. Uh, I couldn't tell you all of them, but the the main ones is like it, how it works is depending on when you were infected with this fungus virus, uh, the longer you were infected with it, the more the fungus would grow and the more dangerous you'd become. So it'd start out, say it infects you, and so you, what happens is you breathe in these spores, the spores get into your head and then they uh, affect your brain and then this fungus grows and starts controlling your body. And so the first things you'll notice is that uh, infected that have just become infected have like white glossed over eyes um and they have like blood vessels and veins sort of burst and a little bit of maybe like rotting skin and flesh mm-hmm. and then the next point is what uh, are called clickers which are uh, uh, they're infected which I was called zombies again uh, they're infected which the fungus has grown to such an extent out of their brain that it has cracked open their skull split it open and created this like chitinous is that how you say it, chitinous
1: I don't know. Jib,
0: uh, it's basically this sort of armor, right? This head armor that it's just this hard plate on the head. So where their eyes and forehead would be. Um, I have some photos here. I've you never want. heard. I'll show them to you afterwards. Before, but okay. Um, yeah, it's like you know, crabs got chitin on it. That's right. Hey Siri, <laughs> what is a shell of a crab made out of? Yeah, I was right. Chitin. Okay, okay. C H I T I N. Noun. A fibrous substance consisting of polysaccharides and uh, forming the major constituent in the consti- consti- constituent in the exoskeleton of arthropods and the cell walls of fungi.
1: Nice. Okay.
0: I'm okay. so smart. You
1: are smart. I can't I
0: believe d- that I remembered that word.
1: I have never heard that word before in my life, so that was that's gonna be the word of the day. <laughs> chitin. Chitin. There you go. Please <laughs> well, Just... read the definition again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but this, <clears throat> this chitin is a. Um, broken the skull open uh, to the point where they uh, can no longer see. They don't have a nose, they don't have uh, eyes, and they don't have a forehead. And they're called clickers because they, rather than see, use echolocation. So they'll click their tongue or something along those lines and uh, use echolocation to uh, feel the vibrations, I guess, in their heckin' chitin faces. uh, And then they'll find you using that method. So those are have higher senses of hearing than just the regular sort of runner type of infected. And then the final sort of stage of the infected is uh, like, a, like a juggernaut kind of thing. I don't remember what they call it, but basically this uh, entire being is covered in this sort of chitin and the skin is sort of grown out around it. And uh, as the, the body bloats uh, and these this fungus sort of grows, it creates these fungal pods, which that... He can throw off, so it's this big, old, thick, armored guy with all these fungal pods along his body that he picks off and then throws at you, which contains spores. And so the spores will, you know, breathe them in and then you're infected and then you die. But the design of these uh, is it's like it's it's so realistic. They 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 did this study and they looked at different types of fungi and they like created these characters in a way that is believable to the world uh, and something that is artistically just brilliant in its design.
1: Bloater. Bloater.
0: It's called bloater. a bloater. It's called a bloater. The big guy is called See, a bloater. I knew
1: it was something.
0: Yeah, I knew and it was something too. And there's
1: to... one after that, or there's one before that that's called the Shambler. I do remember that, but that might be from the second game. That one's
0: from the second game. So in the second game, they introduce a Shambler and a Stalker, okay. which those two characters, the Shambler basically is a walking fungal pod that will explode like fungus spores, spores around you yeah. um, and then the stalker is one that hides um, and only attacks you like they'll like, corner you and then they'll mm-hmm. attack you from both sides so um but in the first game you really only have the runner the um bloater and then the clicker but yeah no i i've always loved the design of these characters just because of like the intricacy that, that it took and i have a book of concept art for the last of us 2 that i recently bought And looking at it and seeing like what they thought for like the amount of thought they put forward and and the pre-production of this towards just designing these characters is is it's crazy. And it's you know, it's something that I want to do is just get that amount of thought back there. I think that if when it comes to designing creatures like this, if you base it in something real world, uh, it becomes, I think, much more interesting.
1: Yeah, it has more of an appeal you know, because it it it's rooted in real life. It's not something that was just created. When you like when we were talking about the the fungus actually exists and it actually does this. It makes you not feel more connected, but it's just more interesting. You're like, oh, this could actually happen. Yeah, like it
0: could happen. So it's just it's that sort of level of thought that goes into it that makes me like. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, next thing I want to talk about with The Last of Us is character development. Okay. So, because that's the you know the two things. I I don't know why we decided to pair these together because they're similar but not like related. Well, but I mean,
1: I thought it was because in video games you can talk about character design. In movies and television shows, you can't, or like even other forms of media like books, mm-hmm. you, you don't really design a character. That's
0: true. That makes sense. That does make sense. We're smart. We figured it out. I want to talk about development. So, like I said, you know, the I have to explain some plot for some background. So Joel, the main character and the playable character for the majority of the game, is a about forty year old smuggler, right? And then the first ten minutes of the game, spoilers if you haven't played it, it came out in twenty thirteen. I don't know why you haven't played it yet, but uh, in the first ten minutes of the game, you play as Joel's daughter initially, and then you play as Joel. Um, and you, as the player, watch Joel lose his daughter to these military agents that are shooting down all of the people that are possibly infected And the first sort of, like, military action, right? So Joel loses his daughter after she's shot, and it skips, like, 20 years later after the opening cutscene. And after that time, Joel has become a smuggler in this... Military compound city, right? And while he's there, you and you, Joel, and his friend Tess uh, are given a job to smuggle a girl, a person, by these people known as the Fireflies. And that girl is Ellie, who is uh, the main female protagonist, and she's possibly linked to a cure to this disease because she was bitten. Uh, By an infected, but she has not turned in over like four months or something. So basically what happens, you know, people die and and it ends up just being you as as Joel and Ellie walking around uh, America trying to get down to this uh, special facility where they can create the cure from Ellie's uh, infection. As you sort of play, Joel and Ellie are really cold and distant in the beginning. But as it goes on, it becomes more of like a surrogate father-daughter relationship in this, in the way that Joel sort of uses, it doesn't use Ellie, but just Ellie takes the place of his lost daughter because they were about the same age as when, uh, when his daughter died. Ellie's about that age. As time goes on, like they grow closer together and Ellie never really knew her father. And so you, you just, you explore this relationship between the two of them as they go through all of these terrible tragedies that are happening around the world because there's just, you know, not very many people left. It's the last of us. And, you know,
1: whoa. <laughs> we make this joke in every, every episode. episode. <laughs> every whoa. <week.
0: laughs> whoa, the name popped up in the way I was describing it. Oh, my God.
1: It really is the last of them.
0: It is. But at the end of the game, major spoilers, uh, at the end of the game, you you finally make it to this facility, right, where the fireflies are at that are going to try to cure everyone. But it turns out that in order to create the cure, they have to kill Ellie. Ellie has to die. And Joel, not wanting to repeat the, the loss of his daughter, sacrifices, not in sacrifice, he just fucking murders everyone in the facility and then leaves with Ellie in tow rather than, you know, save humanity. He didn't, he was, I wrote down like the themes of this game are, you know, sacrifice, um, family loss, grief, but the biggest theme is is selfish love. Yeah. Because Joel, in his love for Ellie, gave up the only cure for humanity to not repeat the loss of his daughter. Uh, The game literally ends with you two walking back to another town uh, where you're going to live for the next few years until the the second game takes place. And Ellie basically asks him, like, hey, are you telling me the truth? Because if you tell me you're telling me the truth, then I'll believe you. And then he's like, I am. I'm telling you the truth.
1: Oh, I hated it so and much. It I it's hated like, it. Yeah,
0: because she asks him that because they leave and um, Joel is like, yeah, it turns out there's a whole bunch of people like you and you know they didn't need you there by the time we got there. And she was like, Really? He's like, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then she asked him that question. He's like, I'm telling you the truth. And then it zooms in on Ellie has a, a cut to Ellie's face. And she's got like tears in her eyes and she looks like she's not really believing him. And then just bang. Paddle. Because that
1: was the one thing that she wanted to do was be able to save everyone she wanted to be that person she was so selfless and he was so selfish like yeah
0: and that that dichotomy is what creates the the, the main tension in the back half because you know if ellie had uh had the decision to save them um then she probably would have given her life she would have And i think that there is a uh, w- what what i think is the big push to, for joel was not the fact that ellie had to die but the fact that they wouldn't they didn't tell him you know, they didn't prep him. They didn't didn't give him a chance. They just sent her into surgery while Joel was like unconscious or yeah. something. And uh, I think that uh, you know, in that moment, that heat of the moment, he made one decision because he's like these people suddenly became the bad guy to him, mm-hmm. and that made that he made that decision to you know kill one, and then at that point, it's like you gotta kill them all and get Ellie back, and then you do that, and uh, it's just. It's a powerful, powerful story for for more reasons than one, uh, especially because of the themes of like grief and, and and loss, and you know what to do when you've lost a loved one. The next thing I wanted to to talk about though was uh, the Seven Deadly Sins, which is an anime and a and a manga. The manga released in twenty twelve by the mangaka, which is the name of an author of manga, by Nakaba Suzuki. Uh, the anime released on Netflix in twenty fourteen. Uh, and the reason I want to talk about this is mostly for design, character design. Um, but when it comes to design, I need to give a little preface. There are a couple of principles when designing characters for any sort of visual media that, that you need to take into account that's not live action. So if you're animating or you're drawing a character or any anything of, of that regard, uh, the, the main sort of things you need to think about is, is first you need to think about your silhouette. Right, the silhouette of the character. Every character should be distinguishable through just a silhouette, through just the the outlines of them. Um, and uh, the next thing you need to be thinking about is, is is a shape. So your shapes that you use to create the character should reflect the character's personality in some way. Triangles is more of a menacing vibe. Squares very sturdy or very happy-go-lucky. Um, circles very round. Very.
1: A um... circle's round. <laughs> Really, <laughs> I didn't know.
0: This is the day I quit the podcast. <laughs> uh, circles are very, circles are very round. Yes, they're very round, but you know they describe very jovial characters, very very happy characters. Happy, yeah. Or they can be sad as well. Um, it just depends on how how you use the the shapes. But this is not as applicable in, in sort of anime because the shapes are very specifically anime based in the way you design things. But it is more used in this anime than some other anime I've seen. Uh, One of the last things you need to focus on is the color and the texture. So it should aid in creating a believable character in the universe. So, you know, skin texture, fur texture needs to be believable. Um, And, you know, it has to serve some purpose. It can't just be like, this guy's really hairy just because I wanted to be really hairy. Um, The last thing you really need to focus on is the posture and expression of your character, which should explicitly give your character a personality. Uh, You can tell a lot through a character by just the way it's standing or just the way its face is looking. Um, and seven deadly sins does an amazing job of that even within the the titular characters of the seven deadly sins um the biggest ones that are i think design wise are, are are well done would be gother and bond so gother is uh let me give a yeah
1: can synopsis. you tell me what seven deadly Sins? i'm sorry
0: is? i forgot i just get into it and i forget that not everyone has seen it it's okay um i mean i've
1: seen it but for those who haven't yeah. seen yeah
0: so seven deadly sins is an anime like i said released on netflix it's netflix based so Uh, You can only find it there for the time being. But it's also a manga, which is uh, released in chapter form right now, um, I think through the 40th, 45th or something. But, yeah, no. So the story is uh, in a fantastical version of Old Britain. A group of seven criminals, aptly dubbed the Seven Deadly Sins, must fight for their kingdom and their loved ones against demons attempting to take over all of the kingdoms in Britannia, Old Britain. Uh, So... The titular characters, of the seven deadly sins. Each of them has a mark of one of the seven deadly sins. You know, uh, what is it? Gluttony, uh, sloth, um, pride, wrath, greed, envy, pride.
1: You said pride twice. Ah.
0: Greed, envy.
1: Lust? Is lust. Lust. That was the one you that missed.
0: That was the one I missed. Um, and so, you know, each of these characters reflect that in some way, uh, but not in the way you would expect for the most part. Um. So I think that that's really good. Because it's just really cool. I think it's cool. It's just, cool. <laughs> it's just a good design. Um, but the characters design-wise, like physical, the way they look, that that tell the most about their characters would be there, the goat sin of lust, and Bon, the fox sin of greed. Uh, because I'm going to show you some pictures in a moment. Just Thank the, you.
1: I didn't know who you were talking about. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> because those characters, uh, the way that they stand is very specific. So Bon... His character is, he's the fox sin of greed. And so the way they created him was very foxish features. He's got a lot of sharp angles, a lot of triangles. um, And he stands in a way that is very lackadaisical. Like he doesn't seem to care about anything or anyone but himself, you know. Um, And then Gother, the goat sin, who's a uh, non-binary character. Can't really ever tell. He's he's, uh, very homogenized, right? Is that the right word? Homogenized? androgynous androgynous that's what i was looking for very androgynously created on purpose uh, and the way that well they call him a he in the show so i'm just going to refer to him as he uh so the way that he stands um is very flamboyant so he'll often stand with like leaning to one side um with you know the anime peace sign in front of the eyes <laughs> or who always have one hand out and ready to do something but the rest of his body will be rigid because his thing the thing about him is that he doesn't really have emotions right because he's not quite human um and so it's uh, the way that they designed him and the way that that he moves around is very rigid and unrealistic and almost uncanny valley um but it fits his character very well so here's some photos of them that i can just show you
1: oh i do remember this character yeah
0: so you can see with bond like the way that he stands like off to one side and his, his face is very carefree, mm-hmm. um, almost angry. And then the one above uh, Bon, I put Gother, mm-hmm. who stands just like he in the picture on the right. I think he's literally standing straight up mm-hmm. with only one arm out at like a 45 degree angle. And that's how he prepares for battle is he puts one arm out and then uses his powers with his okay. hands. Yeah. And then the last character I want to bring up is my number one favorite character. Uh, in, in the entire world uh his name is Esquinor. he's the sin of pride you don't meet him until the third season but like the way they have their season set up is weird because there's like one season that's a real season and then the second season is just like four episodes of filler and then the next season is the real uh second season so you meet him about halfway through the second season he's the sin of pride and uh he the way he works is he's uber powerful he's just super duper super powerful and his character design and the way that they do that is very very blocky right so even when standing straight his top the top half of his body when he's sort of in his powered up form is a triangle is it like a dorito downwards dorito Mm -hmm. shape uh and that's to symbolize just this this power like he like he's really heckin beefy right and then when he stands and you look at him from the side, they always block him at sort of this triangular trapezoid shape. So his silhouette is recognizable from the side, mm-hmm. simply from like the, the way that he's shaped, right? Um, and so it gives this sense of just like dominance in the in the way that he stands. And his expression is always plain, right? He, he never really looks angry or upset at anything because he only ever thinks about himself because he's prideful Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's the best person alive. Uh, And so I think that they did a really good job of recreating uh, that in the anime from the the manga. So uh, another thing I kind of want to talk about is with Escanor is the way that his power works, right? So as the sun rises, he becomes more powerful until noon when he is the most powerful person on the entire planet. And then the sun sets and he becomes less powerful until nighttime when he's just a little twink twink (laughs) (laughs) it's just a tiny little twig Mm -hmm. you can can knock him over with a gust of wind um but the reason they do that is to have a powerful character or a quote overpowered powered character in any show and make it interesting power has to have a balance yeah right so you can't just have someone be completely overpowered all the time because then what's the point of watching it you know So in in the show, his sort of development, right, is he when he's during the daytime, he can't really control it. It's a curse, right? So he's cursed with this power that makes him super powerful during the day and then like a weakling at night. And so during the day, he's prideful, like he can't, he he just talks prideful and thinks in a very prideful way. But as the show progresses, he realizes is like this isn't the way to be treating everybody all the time. Uh, Especially because he has a love interest that he is attempting to, um, you know, engage with romantically. And so during those moments, um, he has quiet little moments where he's just like... um, There's a moment in the fourth season, I believe, the fourth season, when he goes up to the door of the person that he is romantically interested in after she's lost someone important to her. And he knocks on the door and he says... Uh, he's, he's, like, he's talking to himself, right? He's He like, um, says something along the lines of, it should comfort you to know that even though he's gone, I'm still here. And then he has this moment of like, no, I can't say that. He literally says no. And then he like stops and thinks about it and he tries to come up with a better thing to say, but he mm-hmm. can't figure it out. And that sort of development is drastically different than when we meet him in, in the yeah. beginning of the third season or the middle of the third season. So I just... I love this sort of character archetype, I guess. Mm -hmm. When it's, he has to physically like figure out a way to engage with this person. I don't know. It's difficult for me to describe, Mm -hmm. you know? I just, I really love his character development specifically in the show. And it's not met its completion. Um, The next season comes out in January. I'm so excited. (laughs) So excited. Um, but as I was saying, like th- this power has to have a balance to it. So we can't have a character that's just super powerful all the time. Even in, even in the anime One Punch Man.
1: I was, that's what I was giving you a look for. <laughs>
0: in the anime One Punch Man, um, he, the titular character, One Punch Man, Saitama, uh, kills all of his enemies with one, one punch. punch. He defeats them all with one punch. But the balance now to tell that. tell me
1: that, how that not.
0: The balance to that is that he is always bored with every fight and he's continually searching for something that'll give him that like feeling of contentment after a battle right and so that's the the balance towards that is that while he's super powerful he doesn't feel happy it's not necessarily a physical balance to it okay. but it is an emotional balance to that he wants to find someone that's worthy of fighting him or that he feels like confident enough no he feels he's
1: matched Yeah, he's
0: matched he feels matched somebody
1: he's matched with somebody so, who's the same level as him
0: yeah but he can't do that he can't find anyone like that and that therein lies sort of the comedy of the show mm-hmm. and uh i i also really enjoy that show but i haven't seen the there's a second season out um somewhere but i haven't seen it yet but yeah those are the those are really the big things with me but it's uh always it's always fun to talk about character design in anime and, and in video games because it it always you know that's that's sort of my art i just like designing characters that i think would look cool in my brain and then never actually physically design them because i'm not so great at art right now but you getting should better. just do it anyway i should do it anyways but i'm always afraid of doing it in a way that is um lackluster it, yeah like it won't
1: live up to what i what, see what you see yeah yeah
0: and I think that that's just like with every artist, you know, you have an artistic eye, yeah, right. Hundred percent. So you want to be able to create art that looks like this. And one style of art that I that I really admire is um, Monet. I really love Monet's impressionistic pieces, um, which is really weird because I also really love anime mm-hmm. and that artistic artistic style. Artistic style. I'm always afraid of, of of getting down these designs onto paper because then once I create them. And I don't know, you can always go back and change things and, and whatever, but I feel like once I create them, they're like that's it. Mm-hmm. Like now I have to have this person go with it, yeah. Yeah, I, and I have and I can't I mean I could go back and change it, but it's always difficult for me to do that. Especially like if I'm doing that and showing people mm-hmm. and then getting critiques on that, on something that's just been in my brain that I see perfectly, but I don't feel like I have you the practical skills yeah. to show it. So
1: That's the same thing that I struggle with. Like I have so many ideas for like short films that I want to make or just little movies and things like this and I don't make them because I know my skill level isn't where it needs to be to show what I have in my head. Like you're talking about this artistic eye that we have and so it just makes me not want to do it until my skills get better but you can't think like that because you you have to improve those skills somehow so you have to make something. So that they get better and so you can eventually make that thing that you want to make. And I feel like it's easier with art or with what you're talking about because you can, it's so, it's a lot easier to go back and change something when it comes to making a, a film. It's not like you can make it, I guess you could, but it's not like you could make it and then like five years later you're like, oh, this was awful and then remake it, you know? Yeah. Like,
0: it just made, I don't know. It makes sense. It makes sense you know, I also think that there's no point in judging a piece in process, right? So if I'm in the middle of it and I'm like, oh, this sucks, I have recently been sort of teaching myself how to finish the piece anyway. Mm -hmm. um, Because even though I might be embarrassed by it or I might not think it looks great, it is practice. And as an artist, uh, in any art form, you gotta practice for practice's sake.
1: Yeah, you have to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because it's not. You know, deliberate it's not deliberate practice. Yeah, it's deliberate practice, and, and practice isn't optional. If you want to be good at your craft, practice is essential. If you want to be good at your craft, uh, you know they always say your um, what is it? Your million hours, right? Is it million yeah, hours or thousand to, hours? A million, a million
1: hours? No, but million hours is not possible. Thousand hours.
0: Is it? I feel like. A 1,000 hours is a lot easier because 1,000 hours is just a couple months. I think it's a million hours. I don't
1: think... You, we don't live for a million hours. I'm
0: almost positive that a million hours is just a couple years. But no, they always say that you need like, about a million hours into something to become a, prof- like a, a professional at it. Or become like, proficient in that craft to such a way that you can just do it without any limitations.
1: A million hours is 100 years. It's 10,000 hours.
0: 10,000 hours
1: that has to be the saying i think that's the saying 10,000 hours to make an expert or make a not a perfectionist but
0: yeah an expert yeah an expert to become an expert in your craft Mm -hmm. um and then it applies to music music i think is where they would mostly say it It, you know it it applies to to every form of media any sort of creative media 10,000 hours randy has it pulled up on the google (laughs) on the googs (laughs)
1: I knew it wasn't a million that just sounds wrong.
0: I don't know. I feel like a million hours sounds cooler though. Like I put in a million hours on something.
1: You live in a hundred years? Some from people.
0: The, some people from the 100. moment
1: you were born to you turn a hundred, you have been practicing.
0: No, you know what? I started when I was sixteen and I'm living till I'm a hundred and sixteen.
1: And then only then you've become an expert. And once you become an expert in that field, then you have to go make something, but you're already a hundred and sixteen. How are you gonna go make something now?
0: I'm just built different. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I hate you so much I hate you <laughs>
0: uh, yeah but you know putting in 10,000 hours into something is no simple task no it's not so and that's why you practice and you know even even as we just talk right now like this is our practice it is honestly we're it practicing is. podcasting when we started this It was so much worse than what you guys are hearing now. Oh, no, but
1: you've already heard the worst part. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and you're only going to hear us get better as we go on. I mean, every time, you know, every once in a while, we're going to stumble and suck it up real big. But uh, it
1: takes 416 days to become an expert in something.
0: Yeah, almost 417.
1: Almost 417 days. So if you spend every hour of every day working on your craft... You can do it in a little over a year.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that. A little over a year. And when you put it like that, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound so daunting. Mm -hmm. But when you actually have to sit down and do it and you actually have to, you know, because it's not like practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect, yeah. So, you know, it's it's managing your time well and all that good stuff. But, you know, eventually you'll be able to create the things that you see in your brain effectively Mm -hmm. and communicate those ideas effectively. So... And that's what we're all working towards.
1: I think it's interesting that you brought up an anime and you talked about the design of the characters because that's how you can talk about character design is when it's it's drawn, like anime or a cartoon or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. And did I think to write at all about the character design? No. I only was going to talk about you know, character I development. I was
0: actually going to mention Avatar when I was talking about powers. Uh-huh. You know, because you can't just have the Avatar be super duper overpowered, right? Yeah. Because, uh, give it, give it, me, you continue. Give no. me a synopsis. <laughs> give me a synopsis. <laughs> they don't know what we're talking about.
1: Okay, for the synopsis, I just want to read the introduction of the show because it's just so iconic.
0: All right, all right. Go for it.
1: I, I hope it will work. We'll explain it a little bit more. I'm going to do it no justice. And I'm scared. Okay. Water, earth, fire, air. No, hold up. Water. Water.
0: Earth. Earth. (laughs) Fire. Air.
1: Long ago, the four nations (laughs) lived together. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the fire nation attacked. Only the Avatar... Master of all four elements could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I, the characters in the show, discovered the new avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save everyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. So those of you who don't watch the show, that's the intro for every episode um so the it's it's created in this world where everybody there are some um element benders i guess is what you'd call them they're benders and so some people have like water bending abilities fire bending abilities air bending and earth bending yeah
0: and and by that we mean that they have the ability to control that element yeah so a water bender can control water and ice and an earth bender can control rocks and such and then uh you know, firebender fire, Airbender. and so the
1: Avatar can control all four of those elements, and so they're the the one that's supposed to keep everything in balance. And so the show takes place after the Fire Nation has come into power, and the Avatar's gone missing, and the two characters, the brother and sister Katara and Sokka. Sokka. Katara and Sokka, they find the avatar, and then they must help him on his journey to learning how to master the other three elements. Because he's already a master in airbending, quote-unquote, master. He mm. knows airbending really well.
0: <laughs> Pew. Pew. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about design for it on a little bit while you gather your thoughts.
1: I mean... I do. The only thing that I can think about for design, because I I didn't really look into that. When you said that each character has to be distinguished by their shadow, that's 100%. Those characters are easily distinguished by their shadow. But now that I think about any cartoon character, they're all very distinguished by their shadow. And that's
0: a big, big part of designing characters is silhouettes Mm -hmm. and being able to um, find a way to effectively create a character that you can look at with no features yeah just black outline and you can tell exactly who that character is and um the reason for that is um in you want your character to be memorable Mm -hmm. right and so you you, if you can design a silhouette that that gets someone to be instantly like oh that's anger oh that's sokka Then you've done your job correctly because those characters that are stuck in our brain. So now every time we see something that resembles that character, we'll be like, "Oh, that's that character." So
1: it's just so strange because I've never thought of it like that. And you can't do that for any other like movie or TV show because we're humans and all humans kind of look alike. Yeah, you know. So you can't distinguish someone. Maybe really specific people you could.
0: Like William Willem Willem Defoe. Maybe got so many. Bones in his face. Bones in his face. His face is so bony.
1: I think for a few actors you could do it, but it's definitely different with um, animated characters.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But I, the main thing I wanted to talk about. If, do you want to talk about the the character design? I was going to talk about. It's
0: not necessarily just character design, but uh, design in in general in that show is phenomenal. Every uh, so each of the nations, though, you know, there's the water nation. There's the Fire Nation, there's the Earth Nation, and there's the the Air Nation. Sounds Nations. weird
1: saying Earth Nation. I don't okay. know
0: why. Um, Earth Kingdom. Earth Kingdom. That's right. It it's the Water Tribes, the Air Temples, the Fire Nation, and the Earth, Earth Kingdom. Kingdom.
1: That's why it sounded off. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: each of those is uh, uh, groups. Each of those groups is is based on a different tr- form or, or part of the world. You know. Yeah. So, um, the water tribes are native americans mm-hmm. so all of their architecture and all their characters are designed after the native american people um in their cultures and uh the air temples all the airbenders are based on tibetan monks yeah and so all of their designs of the of the places are based on tibetan uh styles of architecture and uh, uh then fire nation is, is japanese and the earth kingdom is Chinese. Um, and so they really put a lot of thought even into the, the fighting styles of, of, of each of the, the benders is somewhat based on um, martial arts from those places. Yeah. And so the, the depth, again, the, the depth and the, the, the pre-planning that went into all of that.
1: And see, and this is something that I was going to say, and I didn't want to cut you off, but it seems when it comes to good character design and development, or just design of a, a show in general, it really has to do a lot with the pre-planning. And I think we've talked about this before in a previous episode, about if you want to make something good, you really have to plan for it um, beforehand and do a lot in the pre-production stage to make it really well. And that's something else that I'll talk about in the other show that I want to discuss. But also with um, Avatar, you're, i that's the only part of the designing that I knew was that each one was designed after a specific... Culture, different geographic location. It's again what you were talking about in The Last of Us—that call to the real world—that makes it even more interesting. Because when you realize that it—it's again that sense of like, oh, this could have happened. You know, maybe if we had lived in some kind of magical world where people could control different elements, maybe we would be divided into those four elements, and each person we'd have these different cultures like this because they're based—they have roots in the real world, and I. It just it draws your audience in. But I wanted to talk about Zuko for uh, obvious reasons, because he's such a good character, such a well-rounded character, and he has, the I think, the best character development in the show by far, 100%. Um, but before I get to that, I wanted to talk about what makes a good character, which is something that I thought you would discuss, but it's okay. Yeah, I didn't
0: discuss it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Go for it. Great.
1: So this is just, I did a a tiny bit of research, and this is the the definition that I kind of came up with. So a good character is someone who's relatable, has faults, but despite those faults, overcomes obstacles, in turn bettering themselves or those around them. What do you think? Do you think that's a good definition of a character? I was waiting for your response. I think,
0: yeah. Did you write that down? Yeah. You came up with it yourself? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, you came up with it yourself? I thought you just, like, were talking about something you ripped off of the internet. No,
1: that was my own definition. Wait,
0: wait, wait. (laughs) Bigger claps.
1: Oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I think Zuko exemplifies all of that perfectly. So he starts off, he's the villain at the beginning of the show, he's the the main uh, antagonist. antagonist. Um, He's hunting down the avatar. Obviously because the Fire Nation doesn't want the Avatar to get very powerful because it will destroy them and bring them down. And so Zuko has been dishonored by his father and is now on this quest to find the Avatar by himself so that he can regain his honor. And so that's like his motivation. That's his main driving force. But that's also his fault is that he's doing it To gain his honor back it's not something that he's doing like for himself per se or because he's truly a monster which is something that you learn as you keep watching this show you see these compassionate sides to him when it comes to like his mother or when it comes to um uncle Iroh and I somebody when it comes to Aang as well because at one point the Fire Nation does uh, Aang is the avatar um, at one point, the Fire Nation does capture him, but then Zuko himself dresses in a disguise and rescues him because he wants to be the person to find the Avatar. And so you can see how he's uh, he's misguided. He's not a monster. He's not this big villain that he's made out to be at the very beginning of this show. And you slowly see through the episodes and through the seasons him become more and more compassionate and realize that he is misguided and he's doing this for the wrong reasons. And you see this internal struggle between what he thinks is like supposed to be good because he's the prince of the Fire Nation. He's going to hopefully be the heir to the, the kingdom. So he's he's going to be the heir to the Fire Nation, to the kingdom. I keep losing it. I just had it. I'm really sorry.
0: You're good. So he's the he's the heir to the kingdom and his his main struggle is that as the heir to the kingdom, he wants to do what's best for the Fire Nation or what the Fire Nation right, says. that's what I'm trying to say. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, like, he is a compassionate person and he's got these two conflicting um, mentors in life. He's got his father as a Mm -hmm. mentor, who's this ruthless rule with an iron fist kind of uh, emperor of the fire nation. And then he's got his uncle Iroh, who is this very soft spoken, very learned, very wise old man uh, who teaches him the ways of balance and how to, uh, how the world must-have balance and, and and things of of that nature and so th- this main internal struggle within him is you know do i do do i do i please my father or do i please my uncle mm-hmm. and so th- those two decisions uh, or that decision is, is is what drives i think the majority of the second season yeah. of the show
1: i was gonna try and hit it from a, a more of a moral standpoint where he's conflicted in what actually is good. So because he's the prince of the Fire Nation, he's been raised in this like oh we're the best, we're the leaders and so we must do whatever it is takes to keep us in power. And then you have like his mother who's also very compassionate we see in later seasons and like you were saying his uncle Iro who's very compassionate is like no, this isn't the way to live. This we need to be nice to one another, to one another and have this balance. And so he's also conflicted in what actually from a moral standpoint what The right thing to do is, and I just—that was what I was trying to get at. (laughs) You got
0: at it, and you got it finally, finally, finally. Yeah, no, I—I mean that show is so great. It is what I would consider um, a prime example of. Some people are going to hate me for saying this, but it's a prime example of American anime. Okay. Right. It is a cartoon, but it takes a lot from the anime style of these, of not pandering to, to just small, small children, uh, and it being more action and shounen-based. Shonen is a style of anime that is uh, more told for young boys to teenager, uh, teenager boys, uh, which is very action-based. It's very fight-fight-based, and not a whole lot of, like... Um, you know romance or not a whole lot of but there is but there is you know uh, that's my
1: main i was waiting the whole show to see if they were gonna end up together (laughs) i just i needed to know (laughs) yeah
0: i just needed to know. But that's my thing
1: is because i'm a hopeless romantic i did enjoy the fighting though and the animation in it is really well i don't usually notice that kind of stuff but for avatar i it was incredible phenomenal
0: because you know they they took reference from Real life martial artists. Mm-hmm. They recorded them, and then they would go in and they would animate their fighting style into specific characters. And so the, like I said, the stuff that you see, even in the, you, you see a couple times throughout the show, these scrolls of different styles of bending. And those scrolls are actual, f- minus from the only things I would say that that probably aren't are the water bending and the air bending, which aren't you know physical sort of styles of it where they're they're controlling. Something solid you mm-hmm, know? it's
1: more free flowing yeah
0: more free flowing, and so those are more in the styles of of I would say like dances or mm-hmm. uh things of that nature, well,
1: I mean you could say that for fire as well, I mean the only thing that's really solid is earth bending, everything else is kind of like dancing, no,
0: but fire bending is more aggressive oh, and the yeah. way that they use it in in that aggressive format is they they use a lot of um more fighting style martial arts mm-hmm. uh.
1: Okay, I get what you're saying. It's not... It, it is... Because it's aggressive, there is more of an um, action to it. It's more yeah. of a... So they're,
0: they're punching. Punching, right? yeah. Because the fire comes from their hands, feet, and sometimes, you know, their, their mouth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they do physically throw a punch out and out of which comes the fire. And the same thing with the earthbenders. You're and are they're, right. they're planting themselves and then kicking and punching the, the earth itself so that it will do its bidding. Um, and then... Air bending, you're sort of flowing with it and moving it, so that's more of a dancey style. And then water bending is the same thing, where it's very much flowing with your hands and such. Mm. But yeah, great show, hundred hundred percent would recommend.
1: What I really like, um, when it comes to character development, and it's something that I feel like a lot of shows and movies might get it wrong. Is that character development takes time, and so it's not something that happens that magically happens from one episode to the next. It happens over multiple episodes, happens over multiple seasons, and sometimes I feel like when you're watching a movie, character development can feel a bit rushed. Not all the time, obviously, but there is a more of a time constraint on changing somebody. But also with a movie, you can mess with time, and you can jump forward like five years and things like that, but it's much easier to see when you're talking about television shows that are divided into episodes and into seasons. And something else that I wanted to touch on uh, why Zuko is such a great character is also because he's very relatable. He's, uh, while I was doing research, he's what's called a gray character, so he's not completely like evil and he's not completely good. He's like right in the middle, he's a gray character who has both of these inside of him. And that's really relatable because we as human beings also have both these sides in front in us. So sometimes we do things for the wrong reasons or we do things with good intentions, but we end up doing the wrong thing. And that's what Zuko does. He's, he's so misguided through this entire show. And when he finally comes to terms with what, Oh, like what I've been doing is wrong. It, it's something that we can all like resonate with. Cause I'm sure all of us have had those experiences where we thought we were doing the right thing. And then suddenly we're like, Oh no, I was completely wrong about this. I was, I, Anyways, but no, I really like, um, Avatar. I want to watch it again. I've only watched the whole... Can you tell that I've only ever watched it once? <laughs>
0: really? Yeah. I've watched it three or four times. Um, so maybe I should be talking about it and not maybe. you. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no. I was... It was a joke. It was a joke, Randalloni. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, now I'm just going to cry. Uh... What is it? This is my last day in the podcast.
1: This is my last day in the podcast, guys. This is the last day for the podcast because you already gave up. Now I'm giving up. We're done. We just, <laughs> this is it. We 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 went out uh, doing what we loved. The next
0: <laughs> making each other cry.
1: Making each other <laughs> cry. <laughs> so the next thing that I want to talk about, I and this is gonna get not hate. But it's a show that I really like, and I know there's some people out there who don't like it, specifically my boyfriend's friends, and if you're listening to this, you can fuck right off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about The Big Bang Theory. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay,
1: okay. Have you watched it?
0: I've watched uh, the sum of three episodes.
1: Perfect. Okay. Okay um this is it's a sitcom and i absolutely love it because i love sitcoms that's really what i want to go into when i when i become a director i was going to say if if i become a director no when i become a director i want to do tv shows you
0: want to do sitcoms yeah i didn't know that you didn't know no i thought you wanted to do like dramatic movies Mm
1: -mm. it would either be sitcoms or horror movies those are my my two things because i really like those and i don't think today there are really any good sitcoms that are going anymore
0: yeah, that's true.
1: I feel like people start them and they get maybe one, two seasons and it just it fizzles out because yeah. they don't have relatable characters anymore.
0: Mhm. And that's a big problem. You know, the um the big sitcoms of the past like uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air mm-hmm. um and even further back, MASH, which is one of my personal Mash favorites. MASH is amazing. Uh in more recent ones that you see, is, like pandered towards young teens, tweens. Mm-hmm like um iCarly was very much a tween sitcom yeah Uh, everything that dan schneider's produced is like a tween sitcom like victorious and all those things Mm -hmm. they were wildly successful oh yeah but um they're not like we don't see as many adult sitcoms anymore anymore
1: there was one that recently going off on a little tangent real quick there was one that came out recently called outmatched and so it was it was following a family that was raising uh four genius children who were Einstein-level geniuses, and they were people, the parents were barely graduated high school or barely graduated college, and so they're struggling with how do you raise genius children. And that's just something that's not relatable.
0: That's not relatable at all. Not at Funny all. Funny concept.
1: It's a, it's a hilarious concept, and I'm not saying that the show was bad. I'm just, I'm. it makes sense that it didn't continue, because how do you...
0: How do you make either of those characters relatable, yeah. to an extent? Yeah. Most people, I would say 80% of people graduate high school, mm-hmm. and I would say probably 99% of people aren't Einstein-level smart. Yeah. So, pandering towards an audience, it's going to be more in the, in the back half of that. So, maybe that's the, the pitch, right? But then in the back half of it, maybe the characters are relatable because maybe one of them is an alcoholic mm-hmm. or a drug addict. Or, um, you know, maybe one of them is really socially awkward or maybe has anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but if you're going to do something that's sort of bombastic like that, maybe. And I haven't seen the show, so I can't say this or that about it. But, you know, give those characters something deeper to to. They to need them.
1: a real, I mean, not saying that geniuses aren't real, but they need some kind of flaw to bring them back to our world our like level of relatability which is uh, not something that they really had they had the awkwardness that you're talking about this social like anxiety because they were geniuses and so some social cues um not social geniuses because they were geniuses so some social cues went over their heads but it it wasn't enough to sustain the show i don't think but getting back to big bang theory where this is a, a big character trait for the main character sheldon he is a, a child genius, and so he misses out a lot on the the social cues and sarcasm and all of these things, uh, how, how relationships work and what it's like to maintain them and why people have emotions and things like this. All of that completely goes over his head. But he has a roommate named Leonard who is the exact opposite of this. He's also a scientist and he's very smart, but he overly shares his emotions and is is very expressive in that way and so just to give a short uh, synopsis about it uh the big bang theory tells the story of roommates leonard and sheldon who rarely seem to get along what shell with sheldon being a a socially awkward physicist who lets everyone around him know just how smart he is when an aspiring actress penny moves across the hall new friendships develop and worlds begin to collide So you have these two really smart characters, Leonard and Sheldon. Sheldon being completely socially awkward, Leonard being overly emotional. And then you have Penny, who barely graduated high school, is not the smartest of the bunch, uh, moves in across the hall and is trying to be an actress, something that is incredibly hard to do. And she moves in when she's 21. So the show went on for 12 seasons. It just recently ended, I want to say, in 2018, maybe recently, maybe more recent than that. But what I really like is the development of the characters through the show. And you have 12 seasons to work with, so you would hope that there would be some character development in 12 years. Now, some shows don't do this. Yeah, well, I mean, Friends.
0: <clears throat> Calling out a show right there.
1: <clears throat> I Don't get me wrong. I love Friends. It's my number one sitcom. I could watch it every day of my life. I never get tired of it. I was really sad when they took it off at Netflix. How freaking dare they now i have to buy hbo max which i recently did
0: <laughs> just to watch Friends. just
1: to watch friends but they also hbo max has a lot of other shows on it as well that i really like to watch including big thing
0: yeah why well, what i was gonna say is uh to some extent there are there is a necessity for foils uh foil characters a foil character being a character that is the, the same right mm-hmm. uh that doesn't change throughout the entirety of, of a story. Is that a foil?
1: I believe that's what a foil, foil character is, a
0: is. Hey, Siri, what's a foil character?
1: Here's an answer from wikipedia.org in fiction. A foil is a character who Oh,
0: no, wait. No, a foil is a character who's the opposite.
1: Never mind, what's a character that stays the same? I
0: think it's just a static character, isn't it? Yeah, it's a static character. didn't <clears throat> just look up which one was which between static and foil and... All of that good stuff. a so character is a character that uh, remains the same during the entirety of a show or a story. Um, so there is some sort of necessity. not a necessity but there is definitely room for a static character in a show but um maybe not one for 12 seasons
1: not yeah and and so that's the thing and you were talking about this when you were talking about video games a lot of the and i've mentioned it before the pre-planning that goes into it so a lot of shows especially television shows you don't know if you're going to get another season or not sometimes when the first season comes out it's hit or miss if you're going to get a second season sometimes they're great hits and automatically second season sometimes you wait a long time and maybe you'll get a second season and it's really exciting when you do but so when it comes to television I feel like a lot of people don't plan ahead they have the first season or they have this concept down of what they want to do and you're not guaranteed a second season So you you don't think much past that. You don't think, how far do I want to take these characters? But when you have a show, when it comes to, like, the Avatar, all of that was planned. That had... I mean, I can't... I can't speak for a fact. I can't say, because I didn't look it up if that had all been pre-planned. But it had to have been. I'm just saying just how well all of the characters were well-rounded and developed. That had to be completely planned. And even when they didn't get another season, they had a spinoff show, and they kept uh, doing uh, comics or... Uh, graphic novels. Graphic novels. That's what it is to continue the storyline, and so that's what happens because you're not guaranteed another season. Sometimes it'll stop in the middle of your story, and so you either audiences just don't get the answers to what happens to these characters, or people do. Uh, they find a different medium to tell these stories through, or sometimes people will get greedy with the the amount of seasons that they're getting, and then just start spitting off nonsense that are it's completely off of what the characters had originally intended to be and there are some shows like that can't think of them off the top of my head but i know that i've gotten annoyed at many shows for completely changing character arcs like halfway through the show Mm -hmm. i want to say like supernatural or something
0: i couldn't tell you yeah i never watched it
1: i want to say that um they've gone way off base they just finished their 15th season can you tell i love tv tv shows are where it's at (laughs) they just finished their 15th season That show has gotten so convoluted, they've battled God, they've battled the devil, they killed the devil, they killed God, and so what what do you do after that?
0: Seriously, what do you do? Like, the rule in improv, like, you never want God to come into a scene, because if you have God in the scene, then... Nothing that you tops can't that. top it. Yeah. And
1: so we watched the final episode, and I won't spoil it, but it did not live up. And my dad loves the show, and he and I he, and I we were talking about it, and I said it's not going to live up to what you want. He says I'm sure they could. I, I'm sure they if they really planned it, they could have a, a nice um, climactic ending, a nice um, what's the word, a satisfactory ending, satisfaction ending. But no, it didn't, of course, because they brought God into it and they killed God off, and so what can you do after that? Getting back to Big Bang Theory. Sorry we went off on a, a way long tangent there. I just love television shows. If anybody ever wants to talk about television shows with me, please do. I will talk about them till the day's <laughs> done.
0: <laughs> this is your opportunity to email us at mftipodcast at gmail.com. podcast. So that's I. Two eyes Podcast at gmail.com. Email us your favorite television show and we'll make fun of it
1: why email us that's so we have an instagram and we have a twitter you can
0: it's the same we have the same handle on every single social media Mm -hmm. um i mean that we have which is just twitter and instagram and then you know i guess if you count gmail as social media
1: Please, I love talking about TV shows, and if you love The Big Bang Theory, please talk to me. I have too many people in my life who do not like it, and it pisses me
0: off. I feel like you're saying that to me, but I haven't seen it, so I don't have an opinion this way or that way. I'm
1: not gonna call out their names. I'll call out their but names. But if they're listening, you know who you are.
0: <laughs> you know who you are. And piece
1: I, hate, of shit. I'm not gonna say I hate you. Well, that's just mean, but I just don't like you. <laughs>
0: Uh, You know, you know, the plain white teeth said it best. Hate is a strong word, but I really, really, really don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay, character development in The Big Bang Theory, 12 seasons. Obviously, the main three characters are Leonard, Howard, not Leonard, uh, I mean, not Howard, Leonard, Sheldon, and Penny. Through that, we find their other friends, Howard, Raj, Amy, Bernadette, Stuart... They all come into play later. But the main characters that I want to talk about who have the biggest uh, character development throughout the show. The
0: biggest
1: bang. The biggest bang. The first I'm going to talk about is Howard. He is a friend of Leonard and Sheldon. At the start of the show, he's a very raunchy, creepy playboy. He thinks he's a playboy even though he's just an MIT engineer. (laughs) He thinks he's really smooth, but he comes off just really, really creepy, and he lives with his mom. So he starts off as this, and so I'm only recently watching it from start to finish. I had always seen episodes in between. So the episodes that I've seen were in later seasons, 10, 11, 12, and he's a a nice person. He's well-rounded. He's really calmed down and settled down. He's married to Bernadette and has two children, and then you watch the beginning, and he's a completely different person. He's, like I'm like say he's just this raunchy, like, pervert, creepy person. And as you watch it, you see him meet Bernadette, and he slowly but surely becomes less creepy, less playboy, and he settles down. He's still living with his mom, and he finally, after so many seasons, moves out of his mom's house and moves in with Bernadette, who then becomes like his mom, though, because (laughs) she's always doing the cleaning and the cooking and all of this for him. And he's also... What's the word? He he not abuses women, but he he has a a womanizer. Kind of, but he he just thinks that women should be in the kitchen, you know? Oh,
0: misogynist?
1: I guess misogynist. It's never fully said, though, but he never does anything to be like, oh, I will go cook. He's just like, can you make me a sandwich, you know? And so she goes and she cooks and she cleans.
0: Some people live that life and more power to them if that's the life that you want to live and you live it and everyone's consenting yes everyone's, everyone's consenting agreeing to the agreeing to this roles. lifestyle mm-hmm. not just saying you know i'm i'm all about feminism but you know it's nice to have someone make you a sandwich every once in a while
1: i want to be that person though you i will be the sandwich maker? i want to be a housewife are you kidding me
0: sure, i'll be a house husband If my if i can get if i can marry someone that's making buku's of dollars like i will cook i will clean I, and mm-hmm. i will take care of those kids
1: i will 100 percent. that's all i want to do though so i need to find someone who's rich
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's nice to think about as like an an arts person, like, hey, let me find someone that's a smarts person.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was dumb. And I still laughed at it. (laughs) But you see Howard change from this playboy to he settles down, he becomes a lot more mature, he gets married, he has children, he overcomes his fear of becoming a father because his father left when he was really young great character development through the show. I'm really glad that they didn't keep him as that kind of character cuz I I feel like that happens a lot in shows. You always have to have that one character that comes off a bit creepy, who's a little bit of like the the funny one, you know, making jokes at the expense of others. And he still does that, don't get me wrong, but he's definitely toned it down by the end of the show when he's finally a husband and a father. The next person I want to talk about is his best friend Raj. So Raj is an Indian-American. He has trouble with the ladies. He At the beginning of the show, he cannot talk to women at all unless he is drunk. He <laughs> It is the funniest thing. It is the funniest character trope that I've ever seen, and I love it. So he always has to get super wasted before he can talk to even the girl across the hall, even Penny. He can't talk to her unless he's drunk. Until, I want to say, season four or five when he's in such an emotional state and he just wants to be comforted that Penny walks in and starts talking to him and he talks to her openly and then there's this moment when they both realize that he's not drunk and they just sit there and then they start crying because he's talking to her without being drunk it's really funny but I love that development of him getting over his fear of women but he also really wants that romantic love story where he finds the perfect girl and they immediately fall in love and they get married and have like 10 children and he never finds it and so this is my gripe with the show is that he never gets that it's not so much to do with character development because he does learn to love himself which is i know that's what they were going for they were like he doesn't need a relationship he doesn't need a woman to, in his life to be happy he can learn to love himself which is a great character development don't get me wrong but i really would have liked to see him also settle down because he was also at the same level of howard and being like the funny kind of creepy person i would have liked to see him settle down more into a marriage into being a father than just seeing him develop into, oh, I can love myself and I can be happy in myself. There's nothing wrong with that, because there are people out there who need to, to learn that lesson. That's a very relatable trait in life. But it's also a television show, and I love love, and I wanted to see him find love. <laughs> so bad! This is because you're a
0: hopeless romantic.
1: It is. That's my gripe with the show. Sheldon has the biggest character development in the show. So like I was saying before, he starts off very antisocial, very awkwardly awkward social. Doesn't get social cues, doesn't get sarcasm, doesn't get relationships. He's very cold and distant because he's this genius. But he meets Amy Fairfowler in season four. And it starts off as a friendship. They're just talking. And Leonard starts making jokes that, oh, that's your girlfriend. You guys are dating and all of these things. And it makes him very upset because he doesn't That makes him uncomfortable to think about relationships in that kind of way. But eventually, Amy starts catching feelings for him and wants to make it into a relationship. So slowly, they make it into a relationship. Slowly, they start holding hands. Slowly, they eventually hug. Slowly, they eventually kiss. I'm talking years at this point. Seasons of them dating. And these things are slowly happening one by one. Because he's so cold and distant and doesn't like the... I wanna say like animal side of humanity because he's so in his mind, he's so smart that he's like, I'm not going to give in to my physical urges and things like this. He doesn't understand his physical urges. But when he meets Amy, these things slowly start happening. They kiss, freaking season like 10, they finally have sex. Season four, they meet in season four. They don't have sex till season 10. That's six years later. This woman, this poor woman, Waited six years!
0: <laughs> well, if you love someone that much, you'll wait.
1: That's true. Ah.
0: <laughs> Couldn't be me, though, she says.
1: Couldn't be me. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I love. I love the arc of him becoming more human. And I think this was something that was intended from the very beginning of this show. That as they go on, as he makes more of these friendships and these relationships with other people, that he would slowly become more human given to those physical urges, but not also physical urges, but these emotional responses. He slowly learns sarcasm. And that's a very funny bit throughout the show. As somebody says something sarcastic, he leads over to somebody else and he says, sarcasm? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I got it. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) But it's, it's great to see him become this, this more human person. And it, again, it's not something that happens overnight. It takes seasons upon seasons, years upon years to see this change. And even when you start seeing this change, you see him become human and relatable. Sometimes he reverts back to his old ways. So there's uh, one episode where Penny and... Spoiler alert. Penny and Leonard get married. And they want to live in the apartment by themselves, obviously, because they're a married couple. But Sheldon can't handle that change. So he runs away. Sheldon runs away on a train, like a child, he runs away (laughs) because he can't take the change. Then we see the season that I'm on now, it's about the end of season 10. They mention to him like, hey, we want to live by ourselves, and he's okay with it. And I feel like people overlook that so much, especially when you're watching it as it's coming out, because episodes are about a week apart and between seasons, there's like five, six months between seasons and things like that. So you really forget where he's come from. But because of binge culture, you can watch all of these episodes at once. You can really see how much he's come. There's also this episode where he doesn't know how to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't know how to say sorry. So he does it very like bluntly and very... It's not the right way. He's being very emotional about it. He's like, I'm sorry for whatever made you upset. And that's it. The episode that I just watched, and I think this is so interesting... Penny's upset because she's let out a big secret that she wasn't supposed to tell anybody, and she comes to Sheldon for comfort, which is the worst person to come to, because Sheldon doesn't know what comfort is, but when she sees, when he sees that he's made her upset, he says, I'm sorry, please tell me what's bothering you. And again, that's something that would be overlooked by anybody, but it's such a big thing that he's come this far to, like, genuinely being sorry for who he is, because he doesn't fully understand, like, human emotions and things. It's, it's it's beautiful. The show ends with him proposing to Amy Farrah Fowler. They get married. And very big spoiler alerts for the last episode. He wins a Nobel Prize. I just, I really like the show. And they did it right with character developments. Especially, like I was saying, when you have so many years to do it. I love, I love, I love, I could talk about television shows all day long.
0: But well, you know what? That's good. Because that's pretty much what we do. Yep. So... I'm going to get on to those sweet, sweet recommendations.
1: Recommendations.
0: Am I going first? You go first.
1: I'm going to actually recommend uh, Avatar. Yeah. I know we talked about it. It's really good. I think it's... It's not just for kids. I know it feels like it and it's like marketed as kind of like a kids show like you were saying, but it has these deeper elements in it that you uh, older audiences can appreciate and these bigger character developments that audience uh, that older audiences can appreciate. The animation of it again is incredible. The just everything about it. The music in it is also we didn't touch on that, but that's beautiful as well. I just overall good show. Only three seasons, about, I want to say 20 to 24 episodes per epi- per season. Yeah,
0: there's only about like 70 episodes total.
1: You could get through it. It's, uh, it's great.
0: Yeah. Don't watch the movie.
1: Don't watch the movie. Don't watch the movie. Whatever you do, don't watch the movie.
0: Yeah, or at least don't watch it first. Watch the show. Don't watch the movie. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm.
1: Don't give them any more money.
0: <laughs> don't. Full circle, look at that, because time is viewing time is money. Yep. Yeah. Mine, uh, my recommendation is Life is Strange, which is uh, it's not really design wise; it's more development wise, character wise. It's a story of uh, this girl who has the power to rewind time. She finds out as she's reunited with an old childhood friend. Uh, and just their story of, like, why they fell apart as friends and how they're back together now and, you know, what to do uh, right now. And uh, because you find out that the the girl with the time powers is causing this temporal anomaly that's going to hit you in, like, seven days. And so the more that you try and save your friends by rewinding time, you know, the worse the, that problem will become. So it's a really interesting story. Beautiful, beautiful game. So, so much fun. Um it's very narrative driven it's not super actiony so if that's your thing maybe uh give up that thing for one game and play this game anyway
1: <laughs> Yes, do it. I love that game as well i've actually that's another game that I've played see so yeah, I've played
0: mm-hmm. some games I haven't finished it yet but i have uh i have researched it a bit so okay. yeah that's uh, that's about it for today <laughs> thanks for joining us on this uh, uh, on On this intellectual journey. Okay bye. Media for the intellectually impoverished is produced by Trey Taylor Smith and Miranda Randy Zayla.
1: Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at MFTII Podcast or email us at MFTII Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening.